Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone. Uh, holding down the stereotypes for real today, if you're watching on the Establish the Edge YouTube channel, I am recording from not only a basement, but my parents' basement as some work gets done on my house. <laughs> uh, I'm joined by Mark Dinkenbring, Jack Miller, who have been grinding the Establish the Run projections and rankings for us all offseason. And the episode today is going to be like dominating your home league. I've got a couple home leagues under my belt. I hope if you're listening, you know, you still got some to go. I know some have already been drafted, but a little easier to do this episode after getting some of those actually under my belt and seeing how those, you know, uh, go. And there's a lot of variance in terms of knowing the market for your specific league, which is going to be important, but we're going to talk through in general, how things change for us in a home league versus like, you know, a high stakes online league. And also, um, you know, where we might deviate from the established to run rankings. Even if you don't have access to those, you can get access if you become a draft kit member over at established to run. But if you don't, I think this will still be useful. Um, let's start, I guess, like any high level thoughts, Mark, before we get into kind of like position by position. I think mostly, um, you know, it's, it's good to know like your home league, who, who your league mates are and, and typically, what their draft style is. Um, and then just knowing the scoring format and roster format are kind of things I always stress, you know, going into home league drafts, just knowing, okay, is this half PPR or full PPR? Am I, do I, can I start three wide receivers in a flex or is it two wide receivers and two flex, you know, all those little, just like details that are so good to, to hone in on and, and make sure you're locked in going into your home league draft because I, you know, settings vary a lot more, obviously, like when we're, when we're in full best ball season, you know, pretty much everything on underdog is the same roster format, similar with DraftKings. you know, every draft you do there is, is the same roster and scoring format. So um, just make sure, you know, know your home leagues. And then also, I think understanding uh, what your waiver priority is, if you're on, if you do fab budget, I think, you know, that can lend itself to more like zero RB builds or here RB builds where you know that you're going to be able to bid heavily on, you know, running backs early in the season on waiver wires. Um, so just knowing, knowing your league settings, I think is honestly one of the most important things and, and can get sometimes overlooked. You're on mute, Leone. Classic. I'm just, yeah. just running the gamut today. Uh, I know the advice we give a lot of the times on ETR and on this channel is like very wide receiver heavy, but to Mark's point about knowing your league settings, like a lot of these drafts we're doing, you can start four wide receivers and they're full PPR. You know, if you're in a home league, that's even half PPR with two wide receivers and one flex, that's still going to change it pretty dramatically because the positional scarcity changes a lot. Um, and, you know, as Mark said, you got to know your league mates and how they're going to draft. And I think that segues into quarterback, which we'll start with the quarterback strategy. In general, I like to kind of use quarterback as a position where there's generally one value, like within, within a bucket of the quarterback that like, like if I know all quarterbacks go pretty early, like there, there's one value that I can kind of hold on to where it's going to be like, well, I'll get Daniel Jones or a rich late in this league. Or if I know the elite quarterbacks aren't going to go quite as early, it might be, I can get, you know, Lamar Jackson in the fourth round or Justin Herbert, maybe in the sixth round. Um, this year, it's a little bit more all over the place because I think quarterback ADP in general is a bit more efficient as these elite guys go earlier last year. I don't know if I remember you were with, I think you were with me on this podcast last year, yeah. like one of the mm -hmm. last two years. And we we were like pretty into the elite quarterbacks because they were going rounds five to six. Like this year, that's not happening. Um, so Jack, given that the quarterback ADP on the top guys is 
you know, more like round three, maybe even round two sometimes in a home league. Yeah, how do you feel about approaching that position? Uh, I think part of it comes down to knowing your league mates as well as your league size. I think if you're in like an eight-man league, then it becomes more of a priority to get one of those elite guys because everyone's going to be so stacked at running back and receiver that you can kind of get those positions later um, and and you can afford a Jalen Hurts, um, you know, at pick 25 overall. Whereas if you're in a bigger league, it's it's a lot harder to build out running back and receiver depth later. Uh, so maybe you do that early and then find one of the higher upside quarterbacks later in the draft. Um, and then if you don't get one of the elite guys, I think drafting two is more viable. I th- we've mentioned this on a couple of pods, but just taking multiple swings at a play at a couple of players who can get you that mid QB one ceiling. And then if they both work out, then you can play it based on matchups. Um, so that's kind of how I'm, approaching quarterback this year uh in home leagues yeah you can't really stream anymore like i don't think that's viable off the waivers but as jack said you can take you know daniel jones and anthony richardson are pretty cheap and like hopefully one of them becomes a clear starter and you can drop the other one um or there's guys like gino kirk cousins i go to those because we're thinking considering those in our ffpc draft we're sharing together but they're pocket passers but they're on teams that have a good enough supporting cast and good enough play calling that they can be, you know, back end quarterback one for pretty cheap. Um, so yeah, there, there is more options. I think to go late round quarterback, if your league really splurges too much at the position and in these, you know, managed leagues, there's going to become a point that people stop drafting quarterbacks because they, you know, if they're drafting really premium draft capital at, a, at the quarterback position, they're probably not taking a backup quarterback, Though I will say I'm in some home leagues where people draft two and three quarterbacks for for no particular reason. So I've again, you got to be somewhat tethered to your market because I've gotten shut out in an auction in that format where I'm like, people got to get these guys for cheap and they keep going. But um, yeah, Dimes and Richardson are probably two of my favorite targets of going late round. Lamar is like a discount premium quarterback. And I, I think Herbert has a really high ceiling this year. Jack, I know you were in on Deshaun Watson too. Like if he falls in those like eighth, ninth rounds, Dink, anyone in particular that you like this year? Yeah, on the on the high ends, I like uh Lamar and, and Herbert as well are kind of like the, you know, Lamar I think I think belongs in that tier one of quarterbacks. And you can typically get him in the third or fourth round as opposed to, you know, late second, early third with like the Hertz, Allen, Mahomes types. Um, and then Her- Herbert also, uh, as you mentioned, so similar names to you. Um, and then if I don't get either of those guys, I-, I definitely think I'm targeting kind of the range that, again, we've discussed Daniel Jones, Anthony Richardson, Geno Smith. Um, those three are, are, you know, ones I'd feel comfortable only rostering one quarterback and kind of starting those guys every week. So, you know, I'm, I'm drafting a league tomorrow night with, with college friends and we only have five bench spots. So I pretty much always try and lean into like elite quarterback because I don't want to spend one of those five bench spots on a backup quarterback. So I really, you know, I might, I might jump up a few spots and, and kind of go off ETR's rankings a little bit just to secure, you know, that elite quarterback. So I don't have to worry about rostering a second on my bench. Yeah. I think quarterback is the hardest position for us to rank. Like positionally. So I think the biggest thing is to find like where we deviate from the market most in a positive way and take that player at a time that you find reasonable to be drafts quarterbacks, not necessarily exactly where they're ranked in terms of all the players on ETR. Let's jump to another onesie position. because I kind of like starting with the onesie positions because I treat those a little differently at home league. 
quarterback not prioritizing quite as much as in the past, again, because of the increased cost. But tight end, I still think this is one where I'll give some tiebreakers to elite tight end in a home league just because it's harder to manufacture that upside really late in your draft. There are some options this year that we like that we'll talk about. But if I'm at the 2-3 turn and it's difficult, you know, I don't mind taking Mark Andrews over T. Higgins type, who I really like, just to kind of lock in that upside at the position. Um, where I try to be careful is that tier of like, you know, if Dallas Goddard really gets pushed up, you know, and, and I like him, but like those are the type of guys that I start to get concerned where it's like a really good range to maybe draft some breakout pass catchers or breakout running backs and the floor ceiling might not be as good as you think at the position. So Jack, any thoughts at tight end? Yeah, I view it similarly where I'm, I'm fine paying up for Andrews at the two, three turn. Um, tight end is a position where I pretty much always find myself only drafting one because even if I get a low end tight end one, or, you know, even if I get like a high end tight end two type, because all the tight ends go and it, it doesn't pan out, you can, there are always a couple guys every year that go really late and that just slip into free agency that you can kind of pick up. Um, and you can also stream the position more easily than you can at quarterback and just hope for a touchdown. So that's pretty much how I'm playing tight end. I agree with you that I, I'm not taking the Goddard uh, types as much, especially if they, they start to creep up. But like Kelsey and, and more so Andrews, um, I, I find myself targeting in, in home leagues. And then if not, just taking one late and, you know, playing the wire. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think tight end's a position on the wire that, you want to react to pretty quickly in this season just because there's so much uncertainty. I think it's good to just kind of ride the hot hand early and just hope that production lasts. Like we've seen it with like Dalton Schultz for some years and um, different guys like that. Where I might take two is if you could get like Laporta and Musgrave, some of these rookie running back, rookie tight ends late, but I'd be quick to move on from one of them, you know, just kind of hope that it becomes clear after the first two weeks, like which one of those is going to be your starter move on from the other one. Uh, I'm a homer, so I'm really into Dalton Kincaid if he sneaks later. He's someone who's going to have a really wide range of outcomes in your home league draft. Like if he's going like TE8 in the first seven, eight rounds, like absolutely not. But if he's starting to go more like the Dalton Schultz, Tyler Higby range, again, I'd like rather just swing at that upside, even though those guys are a little bit safer to a lesser extent, Kyle Pitts, if he falls, because people are just kind of sick of him. I like, I know the floor is not there, but I like swinging on the upside. But again, like with the Goddard point, if he's going in like round six, like I'm not having that, but I've seen him slip sometimes into, you know, like pick 80 or so. And then at that point, I think it becomes a little more worth it. Uh, Mark, what about tight end targets and macro strategy for you? Yeah, I think similar to Jack said, I, I really only want to leave with one tight end. Um, did a, another home league draft last week and like Gerald Everett and Luke Musgrave were both, you know, not even drafted at all. And those are guys that were pretty excited to get in best ball. Um, so, you know, as Jack said, I think there's always solid replacements on the waiver wire if, if you don't get, um, you know, an elite one. And then, but typically, especially again, if it's like a two wide receiver and one flex, league i think you know elite tight ends are that much more important because the positional scarcity is you know or like you know you're not competing with three wide receivers on opposing teams you're only uh, competing with two and there's going to be a lot of wide receivers later in the draft that you know have better upside than than kind of the late round tight ends so um again knowing your your roster construction and league format is important there um in terms of targets similar to you guys with with mark andrews love him hoping i can get him like in the third round of home league drafts 
um, for sure. You know, I, I'm not sure if I'm reaching up into the second to get someone like him, but certainly in the third round, I think that's, that's an easy take this year. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how the steam of Darren Waller and like the sharper formats transitions to home leagues. I think Darren Waller and at the end of the fifth or sixth round is, is a great pick this year uh, because, you know, someone like him, we, we kind of know the targets are going to go his way unless he gets injured. And in a redraft league, like I'm much more excited to take that gamble because if he does get hurt, obviously that, that hurts your roster a little bit, but you can drop him and, you know, pick up another tight end. So um, he's someone I'm, I'm more excited about drafting in the middle rounds. And then later, you know, I, th- I think if you don't get kind of those top like five to six tight ends, I, I would prefer to wait, you know, really late in the draft and, and probably scoop up like a Everett, Tyler Higby, Musgrave, who are, fi- who are fine to start. And they're not going to offer too much upside. But then, Leone, like you mentioned, just be quick to act on the waiver wire early in the season um, because, you know, the, way- the waiver wire is one of our biggest assets in, in redraft and home league. So I want to utilize it as best as we can. Yeah, a couple really good points there from Mark. I especially like the one you talked about. A lot of leagues I'm in are two wide receivers and one flex, and I hadn't really considered that impact on the tight end, more like the wide receiver versus running back dynamic. But that's a good point because like we really do expect to beat our league mates by being better at assessing running back and wide receiver values throughout the draft than them. So, um, And then also, you know, it is a switch up for me, even with a couple of these under my belt, doing the best ball drafts, doing – some of these higher stakes leagues where you have the really deep benches and it's, you got to adjust to having sometimes a five person bench. And then when you throw in kicker and defense, you know, like these 16 round drafts are really like 13, 14 rounds in terms of like the total amount of skill players that you're going to roster, which, which absolutely, absolutely changes things up a little bit. Let's go to the running back position. And this year is different to me than in past years. You know, a lot of times I'm a little bit more pro zero RB than this year, but the costs in general on the running backs, I think are a little bit lower in your home league. That might not translate quite as much, but I do think it's permeating to an extent. And I also think in what, you know, Jack's written about the RB dead zone a lot in the past, like rounds three through six, where we're hammering wide receivers because running backs are typically bad bets there's some guys that break that RB dead zone mold that have legitimately high ceilings. You've got Travis Etienne, you've got Brees Hall, um, you've got Kenneth Walker, JK Dobbins, Javante Williams to an extent, maybe a little bit later, like round six, seven, but there's guys that I'm fine taking there. And then at the beginning of the draft too, you know, once you get past the wide receiver tier with like Diggs, Adams, AJ Brown, CD lamb, Amon Ra, um, you know, maybe you'd include Waddle and Wilson, but like you get that two, three turn and like Jonathan Taylor's there versus Chris Olave. And we'll see where Jonathan Taylor lands. We're recording this as like, it's the last half hour of the trade deadline. Um, you know, I'd rather take, take the running back swing at that point. So Jack, uh, your thoughts on the RB dead zone this year and how that affects how you're treating home leagues. Yeah. I personally still lean wide receiver at that two, three turn. Um, especially if the choice is like Taylor or, um, you know, Ramondre Stevenson or whoever. But I, I think a big thing with running back, and it also applies to receiver, is just knowing how your league mates are going to draft, how much they're going to rely on the default rankings of whatever site you're drafting on. Because some of these sites have like wide receivers really low. So you can get like insane wide receiver values late, at which point maybe you start to consider quote unquote, reaching on a running back just because you know that those receivers are going to be available later. Um, But in general, I do still prefer to go receiver heavy through the first like five or six rounds. But if I can get someone like 
Jahan Dotson, who on ESPN is ranked, I think, like 85th or, or 90th or something, then, you know, I become okay taking a running back swing in one or two of those first uh, four or five rounds, uh, knowing that I can fall back on the receivers later on. Yeah, Mark, it's like, you know, looking at our full PPR ranking or our half PPR rankings, for example, you know, we've got guys like Mike Williams, Christian Kirk, Christian Watson, you know, just inside the top 50 overall players and the ADP from fantasy pros, which is like, it's hard to get good home league ADP, right? Cause like some of it's bad, but then like there are leagues like that. So it's like, it's difficult, but the ADP on these guys is more like rounds five, six, seven, eight. So it's like, you know, if you really can get a couple of these guys and some rookie wide receivers, we're talking about a wide receiver late, then I'm hard pressed to not come out of the first couple of rounds with, with a running back. Um, even knowing what I want to build wide receiver heavy. Um, so how do you sort of view that? And what have you seen in, in your league so far? I generally want to leave the first two rounds with at least one running back that I feel good about. Um, you know, obviously things can change once the draft starts. And if there are, there is an insane value at, at wide receiver, let's say, I don't know, you're drafting 10th and like Cooper cup falls all the way there. And you're, you're, you know, I, I would be inclined to draft Cooper cup. And then um, in the second round, if, if I don't know, AJ Brown is there, you know, maybe you can take him over like a Tony Pollard, but, but typically I would like to leave the first two rounds with a running back just because I think typically in these home leagues too, like, at least I know my league mates will, will try and um, fill out their starting roster before taking like a third or fourth wide receiver. So even, even if there's a great wide receiver value there, like people will just choose quarterbacks over him because they want to fill out that starting roster. So I, I typically always find myself in home leagues, just being shocked at some of the wide receiver values between kind of rounds like six and nine. And um, so, you know, similar to what Jack said, I I'm, I'm fine reaching a bit more on running backs, especially in the first two rounds, just to secure one. And then, you know, hopefully kind of in that round seven, eight, nine range, I can get some value at wide receiver and also add someone like a David Montgomery or James cook, or, you know, these guys that were a little higher than, than market on and, and might be a little cheaper in home leagues. I think those are perfectly fine RB two targets. Um, and as you mentioned, Leone earlier, a lot of these drafts, you're only drafting 14 players. If you include, you know, a kicker and a defense at, at the back end there. So there's, there's guys at the end of drafts that, you know, we'd love to get in best ball that are just available for free or won't get drafted. So typically lean into, you know, the, the earlier running backs, if possible, if, you know, breaking a tie there. Yeah. I'd say like at the one, two turn, Bijan Robinson and Tony Pollard are big targets for me in some of your leagues. Like there might be some lag on where Pollard should go and you can even get him a little deeper into the second round, which would be amazing. Mentioned like once you start getting into the, like the three, four turn, the fourth round guys, like Brees Hall, Travis Etienne, Kenneth Walker are interesting to me, according to our ranks, um, like Alexander Madison might be someone that people forget about. Like you start getting him more like sixth round. I do think, you know, at some point similar to quarterback, you might have to deviate from where the running backs are in our overall ranks and just be like somewhat tethered to the market that your league is in um, and just take the value lost when it's, when it's shortest. But I do really like your point, Mark, about people filling out their starting lineups and just want to you know, go a little bit on a tangent on that with, you do, we're not, we're building to optimize the team over the course of the whole season, have sort of a monster team come the end of the year. You know, we, we're not building to optimize what our projected points are for our team week one. And people just underrate the chaos that's going to occur. Like the bust rate on picks after rounds, like six or seven is so high. And even early it's way higher than people realize. So 
Um, you just consider that when you're building out depth for your bench, especially like at wide receiver, which we're going to talk about in a second, getting as many upside bets or just strong bets in general, the word upside sometimes is overused. You know, you're just trying to maximize your ability to navigate when there's going to be bye weeks. There's going to be busts you don't see. There's going to be players that break out that you didn't expect that become clear starters. And again, know your league settings. If you're in a league that four out of 12 teams make the playoffs, you might put a little bit more pressure on yourself to have a solid starting lineup out of the gate. I'm in a league where eight out of 12 teams make the playoffs. Like I am, you know, I, I am optimizing for the end of the season. If my team makes the playoffs, the team wasn't winning anyways. Like I just got to be top eight and then hope to have a monster come to playoffs. But I do want to give you know both you guys a chance if there's any specific RB targets that I didn't mention that you guys really like this year. Yeah, I mean, my top two are James Cook and David Montgomery, and I think that's pretty uh... – pretty much who a lot of a lot of us um at etr like i think both fit the mold of the like week one role with massive upside if something happens to their backfield mates so those are the two i'm really in on yeah i like um alexander madison as she mentioned earlier in those in those middle rounds um i think we're relatively conservative honestly on his on his base projection and Dwayne mcbride got cut today by the vikings you know there's really unproven talent behind him. So, um, I'm kind of with Silva on, on loving, loving Madison this year at the, at the end of the fifth and, and sixth round, I think he's a great RB two. Um, and then later in rounds, you know, I think like if, if you do take one running back early and kind of wait towards the end, um, I'm, I'm a fan of, of the Washington backfield. I like taking either Brian Robinson or Antonio Gibson. Those are two of my favorite targets and in, in like the 10th round, area um you know typically prioritize robinson more in half ppr scoring and gibson more in ppr but both are i think solid targets and and uh washington offense is you know just uh, one that i'm betting on in general to have a, a good season and they're all relatively affordable in drafts and and to what jack said like both those guys are a poor version of you've got some standalone value with upside if the league mates go down um to, I do want to mention, go, sorry, I'll, I'll mention one more here. Uh, Jalen Warren, I think, is, is one yeah. that probably is going to go a lot later in home leagues. Um, you know, the most people still love Najee Harris and the, the quote-unquote projectable volume that he has and locked-in role there. So I think Jalen Warren is probably someone you can get a lot cheaper in home leagues. Yeah, Najee Harris was kept for $75 in a home league that uh, I recently did in a 250 budget league. But yeah, I did want to hit on like if you do draft real wide receiver heavy, or even if you don't, like running back stashes are great because it's a volume dependent position. Um, guys may earn volume on talent that we didn't see, or there's just going to be injuries. So some guys that are going higher in sharper leagues that might not in your home league, like Jalen Warren's a perfect example, but even Zach Charbonnet, um, Tank Bigsby, there's some of these guys that you know make sense to stash on your bench late. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely wanted to, to make that note. Let's go to wide receiver, which is, you know, the best position out there, but we do have a bias towards wide receiver, especially if you're like full PPR leagues or leagues where you start three wide receivers, where I think people just underestimate the floor ceiling combination of the position and also how that scarcity could run out. Uh, if you do have to start three and you're starting running back heavy, but unlike running back, you know, talent really, really drives the volume at the wide receiver position. And that's why these guys are a little bit safer picks overall. And the injury rates are a little bit lower at the position. So uh, we like to start wide receiver 
heavy, as Jack noted. Uh, Mark and I kind of hit on getting at least one running back early, though, just because the way that I think this specific year shakes out. Uh, but my general targets at the wide receiver position is to try and get, you know, the one, two turn. There's so many guys you can take. Like, I think it just pick any of them, you know, I'm on Ross St. Brown, Devonte Adams, Garrett Wilson, you know, who, whoever's your favorite CD lamb. Like I'm not going to quibble too much with who you take. I think getting like one of those guys there's makes sense. But uh, when you start to get to the middle rounds, like, some of the values we see already done like really high upside offenses like Christian Kirk and Mike Williams for the Jaguars and the Los Angeles chargers or their breakout players where I think maybe the ceiling might be a little bit undervalued uh, like Christian Watson, who goes, I think maybe too high in sharp leagues, but then maybe too low in some casual leagues and really like stashing a couple of the rookie wide receivers this year, even understanding you might not get that production right away, but We've got four receivers with round one draft capital that all look pretty good in good spots between Jackson Smith and Jigba, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnson, and Jordan Addison. So I'm really targeting those guys heavily once I hit round seven. Uh, Mark, uh, any specific wide receiver notes for you, macro strategy or micro player takes? I like a, a lot of the ones you mentioned, so I won't repeat really any there, but I do think one kind of like minor edge I've noticed um, in home leagues is, is that player or, you know, league, my league mates are like hesitant to take technically, you know, the quote unquote wide receiver two in a certain offense, like the dolphins, you know, Jalen Waddle uh, with the Bengals, T Higgins, stuff like that. And those are receivers we project really well, just because, you know, those teams are, are going to throw a lot and be really concentrated with their target share. So I think those are kind of situations to attack, like wide receiver two or threes on, um, you know, offenses that we expect to pass a lot. Uh, so you mentioned it like Jordan Addison, I think is since he's a rookie and, and, you know, everyone loves Justin Jefferson and, you know, knows TJ Hawkinson, like had a bunch of targets down the stretch there last year. I think like he's, he's going to be a guaranteed value in, in a lot of home league drafts. So um, I like him. And then, you know, similar with, with Jahan, Jahan Dotson, Jack mentioned him earlier, you know, like wide receiver two in his offense, but we're expecting kind of a leap there from Washington. So I think, you know, those guys are, are likely to slip a little in drafts just because they aren't the, the bona fide wide receiver one for their own team, even though that's not necessarily a, a huge factor in fantasy. Yeah, that, and also a couple of things we've talked about one, the default rankings, you know, are outdated sometimes. And to like the position when we get steam in some of these sharp leagues at wide receiver, especially that like middle tier, it doesn't seem to apply to home leagues as quickly. Like there's a lag and I'm glad you hit on Dotson. I'd say Gabe Davis is maybe in that mold too, where he's starting to go really early now in some of these sharp leagues, but he's buried a little bit more in the default rankings. He's also got the wide receiver two thing. And you've also are starting to hit that range where Mark, said earlier, people are trying to fill out their starting lineups rather than get that wide receiver depth. So you can really beat people by being willing to be the first one to draft wide receivers to your bench, which sounds silly, but that's where over the course of the season, it could really pay dividends. Uh, thoughts at the wide receiver position, Jack? Yeah, I think you guys mostly nailed it. Uh, one thing I'll add that I think some people in home leagues might shy away from, maybe it's permeating um, like public knowledge a little bit more, but the idea that correlating your wide receivers with a quarterback is a good thing. I, I think a lot of people try to avoid that because they think it's risky. Um, but that correlation is actually good when we're trying to finish first in leagues as opposed to, you know, avoiding downfall. So accepting a little bit of that 
correlative risk uh, in exchange for the downside. It's not something you should go out of your way for. But if you have a certain quarterback um, looking for receivers on his team and, and giving them maybe the edge and a tiebreaker if you're caught between two guys and vice versa, if you draft a receiver early, um, you know, don't go into week one with like Mac Jones as your starting quarterback because you drafted Juju. But if you drafted Justin Jefferson and you're caught in between uh, Gino and Kirk Cousins, maybe that, that tilts the scale toward Kirk. Yeah, a lot. I've done some research. It's a few years old now, but I had one of the first articles I did for ETR when I came over here was stacking for home leagues. And it's pretty simple. If the quarterback beats their ADP expectation, the odds of the pass catchers beating their ADP expectation increases pretty significantly and vice versa. So um, it's not just the double points in a given week. That's nice, but it's more like the season long correlation. So if you're betting on Lamar Jackson to have a breakout year, he's going to throw a lot more in Todd Monken's offense, you know, taking Mark Andrews, taking Zay Flowers, taking Rashad Bateman, guys that we kind of like individually anyways, bumping those guys up makes, you know, absolutely a ton of sense. Uh, any final words before we close out the Dominate Your Home League Draft podcast? Yeah, I think the big one I'll, I'll leave, and we've mentioned it a few times, is is know the, uh, the draft applet rankings that you're going to – going to be going into um for your respective drafts adam does a great series on etr you know highlighting like the biggest discrepancies in our etr rankings versus the individual draft applets default rankings. so i think that that's such a massive one um and then again i'll harp on knowing your league settings so just i think you can go into those you know go into your drafts with those two things at, at the top of your mind i think things are going to fall the right way for you yeah, there's some minor things at the end of drafts too. Like if you're in a keeper league and you've got IR spots, you know, someone like Jamison Williams, who actually I guess he's suspended, right? So not, not, not can't go on, can't go on the IR. Never mind. Scratch that one. But you can sometimes find IR guys. And also sometimes you don't have to draft kicker and defense. And it's worth taking some of these running back stashes we mentioned and just seeing what happens between now and the start of the season. Obviously, there's not a ton of time, but it's pretty much risk-free for positions that you can stream uh, any parting words for us, Jack. Yeah. Mark, Mark mentioned uh, what I was going to say with the, just knowing your, your draft applet and default rankings, I guess another point would just be in the double digit rounds. All you should really care about is upside because with the benefit of the waiver wire, if someone doesn't pan out, you can um, just drop them and, and move on. And then Leone kind of just touched on it, but targeting guys, where we're more likely to know in week one if they're going to be relevant or not, uh, as opposed to having to wait a few weeks and, and see how things turn out. Um, just, you know, that information as of knowing sooner and knowing if you can drop a guy or keep a guy uh, is pretty valuable. Yeah. And on the upside point too, uh, that's where I will deviate, particularly at pass catcher from our rankings, because once you get past round seven or so, the bust rate on guys is so high anyways and if you do get a, you know, kind of a veteran that hits in that range, it's usually a small hit and something that's not irreplaceable just off the waiver wire. So taking stabs on younger players, rookie players, where the hit rate might be lower, but if they do hit, could just have an outsized impact on whether or not you win your league. It is something to really look out for and take into account. Um, it's, it's hard to get that directly into the rankings, depending exactly what your format is. But Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you have great home league drafts this year. If you want to get the Established to Run rankings, go over to Established to Run, subscribe to the draft kit. Uh, Jack and Mark and I have been working 
a ton on this over the off season. And we're going to apply that same work to DFS. So getting ready for that as well, if you guys are DFS players, but yeah, if you can rate review the podcast on iTunes, subscribe to the establish the edge YouTube channel, give a thumbs up there. That's a huge help for continuing to produce this content for free. Thanks everybody. Thank you.